All right, I'm going to start off with a question for you. Are you addicted to your smartphone? Now, more specifically, when you are seeking meaning or purpose in your life, do you turn to a smartphone or any other kind of modern technology to help you find those answers? Does the amount of likes or shares you get on social media directly correlate to your feelings of self-worth or importance? So now if any of those answers are yes, you might be interested in today's podcast because you're definitely not alone, at least according to professors Justin Nelson of Campbell University and Christopher Piper of Baylor University. The two recently published their research on the complex relationship between meaning-seeking in life and technology in the journal Sociological Perspectives, and their findings have already attracted a lot of attention to media outlets across the country. Their study is featured in the fall edition of Campbell Magazine, and my interview with the two professors is the subject of this week's podcast. I'm Billy Liggett, Director of News and Publications for Campbell University, and this rhymes with orange. I want to thank you both for taking the time to talk to me about what I feel like is a really important subject here. And I'll start with you, Dr. Nelson. Can you tell me more about the study and where the idea to perform this research came from? I think we, we actually started throwing this idea around a little bit, probably as far back as 2017. Um, when I was a graduate student at Baylor uh, and, and walked into uh, Chris's office to talk about technology and media, which was a shared interest of ours. Um, and the, the, this work was, was originally a part of my dissertation, uh, at Baylor. And, uh, the, the, the form that it's in now, this, this paper in sociological perspectives is, uh, um, has been put together through, through a couple more years of collaboration and work with Chris, um, and thinking about uh, what smartphones are and what what they do and and we were just really excited with the possibility that smartphones because they're so ubiquitous we use them all the time that they could be connected to these very human endeavors of of seeking meaning uh, and trying to find purpose in life uh, and we, we really didn't see a lot of people working on that and we really didn't see a lot of people working on adult populations too. And that's where our data from the Baylor Religion Survey comes in. So now to be clear, your study focuses on only the adult use of smartphones. Is that correct? Or was this for all ages? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, those who responded to the survey um, uh, were 18 years of age or older. So we're focusing on uh, a, you know, a, a broad sample of adults across the United States of America. In fact, a generalizable sample of adults across America. Now, I know there's a lot of research and articles out there just specifically about cell phone addiction, but what's interesting is your study associates all of that with the idea of seeking out meaning and purpose in life. And so can you better explain where that idea came from? This is really one of the main contributions of the Baylor Religion Survey. And one of the main focuses of that survey each time we do it is to understand, you might say, the, the soul of America. Uh, it was originally designed to kind of measure religious values and attitudes, and over time it's uh, broadened its perspective to look at these greater uh, questions of meaning and purpose. And 
we in our observation of other research and also just in our anecdotal observation of the world have noticed that uh, smartphones seem to be used as an end in themselves for the deriving of meaning and purpose. And so we wanted to kind of get some questions on the survey about that and see if that hypothesis was validated. And we wanted to further go into that maybe the phone itself becomes a mode of searching, not just for recipes and what have you, but for actual purpose in life. And so the phone promises this kind of um search for greater maybe involvement in religion or some kind of group. And in the process, it leads you to believe that that could be out there. But in every stage of searching, you have to go back to the device. The search cannot be undertaken outside of the device. And therefore, the latent meaning of the device is that the search stops with the device. And so that leads to addiction over time. And that's exactly what Justin and I found in our research. So now how do you define meaning in this study? Yeah, the, sur- the, the survey item that we use is, is a pretty simple question that, that respondents answer, um, that they're, they're looking for something meaningful in their life. So this is, this is, this is broad. This is something that could attach to, um, you know, several social domains, uh, family, work, uh, education, faith. Um, but the, the thing that's, that, that's interesting about this leaning on, uh, kind of the work of another Baylor researcher, Paul Froze, in the area of meaning and purpose is that, um, in our modern and, and postmodern world, purpose has become a choice. And how we construct that, uh, has become sort of like constantly up for, uh, definition, um, redefinition. Uh, and that, and that's kind of what, what Chris was getting at, I think, in, in, in his last comments there that, you know, when we, when the phone, uh, sort of mediates that, that search, it opens up the door for limitlessness. Uh, there, there's, there's, a, unlimited things that we could pick and choose. Uh, to kind of construct our own meaning uh, structures, to construct our self-identity. Um, and that, you know, we talk about in our paper relates to some uh, classic social theorizing that goes back over a 100 years. Uh, Emil Durkheim, a classic French sociologist, uh, talked about this, this limitlessness of modernity, of this, of this boundlessness, this not sort of being socially moored, uh, you know, kind of like weighted down, uh, uh, and, and smartphones have, have sort of like opened that door, opened that Pandora's box to the, the sort of ultimate end of unlimited searching. One of the things that Durkheim said in about 1920, believe it or not, was that modernity would open the door to what he called the malady of infinite aspiration. Uh, and this would actually, it would, it would appeal to people because it felt like they would have more and more choices, more freedom, uh, endless pleasure and so on. But what it actually would do was probably ruin them psychologically by, uh, the chaos, what he called anomie of unlimited choice. And so 
you begin the process thinking, I'll find my purpose or meaning or the group I belong to. And along the way of the choices, which are now totally unleashed by the smartphone, maybe 20 years ago you had 10 choices, now we have 10,000, uh, absolutely overwhelms a given individual. And so whatever your baseline satisfaction is, over time it actually erodes quite in uh in opposite direction of what you would expect beginning the process. So you've got modernity there already unmooring people from family, religion, community. Now this new technology is actually in our research shows this along with many others, uh, kind of exacerbating that basic problem of modernity that it was been predicted you know, a long time ago. Okay. Uh, at what point does cell phone usage reach the point of addiction and where do you feel like the tipping point is? where your cell phone usage begins to affect your overall feelings or maybe your purpose in life or maybe your overall happiness? I, I think that's actually one of the more interesting findings of our study is that so many studies on um, addiction focus on that, that time component, right? And, and yeah, like that's what your smartphone tells you. Hey, you might be spending too much time on me. Um <laughs> It, it might be. You might be. <laughs> um, and, and, and what we actually find is that, uh, while, you know, social media use, you know, increasing social media use is gonna, is gonna increase this sense of, of, of attachment to the device leading to the possibility of addiction to the device. There's no doubt about that. But there's this moderating effect of meaning seeking. So when you go to your smartphone, uh, with that, you know, purpose with that, with that attempt to sort of seek something meaningful. Um, we actually find that, it, that at lower levels of social media use through this meaning seeking avenue, uh, that, that smartphone attachment is still happening. Um, and it's not necessarily always happening just for those who are heavy, heavy users. Um, and we hypothesize in the paper that like Chris mentioned, it, it has, I think, a lot more to do with how are you using, not is always how much. Um, and that's where the meaning and purpose thing really matters. So grounded in social institutions and so say you're using social media heavily to be involved in religious community or affinity groups or to communicate with your, uh, your family uh, that lives elsewhere. Uh, those aren't going to uh, kind of arise this that same level of of attachment and addiction, but low levels of use where anomi is already present and though and it could be exacerbated by that that quick dive down a twitter rabbit hole or or checking social media to see that everybody else is doing something way more interesting and fun than you uh, in that moment those are the things that can exacerbate. Uh, that that kind of sense of anomi and and we argue that attachment to devices. So now I learned a new word in your study, and that's anome, and it's important because you use it a lot in your research. And so now, I, how do so how do you define anome? Well, the way that uh, Durkheim defined it is it's a French word uh, in origin. Is ah uh, is always the negation. No means meaning, and the e is the condition of. So it's the condition of no meaning or, or normlessness, purposelessness. I tell my students it, it's equating to kind of drifting through life 
with a feeling of no guidance, feeling lost or maybe depressed or slightly anxious. To kind of re- rehash a little a little bit of what I, I, Chris was saying about Anomi and that condition of no meaning and no guidance like we were talking about, it really relates back to the importance of social connection um, and, and, and social institutions uh, in that pursuit of meaning and purpose and, and not just the pursuit of that through the device and that paradigm itself um, as the real key. And, and what we're hopeful for is that this, though it's been, it's been a part of the sociological literature for, you know, as Chris mentioned, a hundred years in the work of Durkheim, uh, I think this, this gives us a link to think about the social mechanisms of what's going on in the now increasingly vast literature that connects uh, the social media and smartphones uh, and, and, and digital media to, to these, these contemporary maladies, the mental health issues, depression, loneliness, FOMO and, and, and the like. You make a, you make a point early in your study to say that smartphones have really only been a part of our lives for the last 15 to 20 years, and we're already at this point where they're having this huge impact on the way we live. Is this a problem we're going to eventually overcome, do you feel like, or do you feel like this is always going to be a problem for us? Or how can we change our habits to where smartphones and this kind of technology doesn't always have such a negative impact on our mental health or maybe our feelings of self-worth? Our smartphones, like any technology, are subject to cultural lag. We, we create technologies and these technologies in particular have accelerated so much of our life. They've become what uh, we call in the paper, we use Jacques Ellul's term technique. They're not just tools. They've changed the rhythms of our life, right? They've changed our culture. Um, we, we cannot even fathom uh, probably getting in the car without, without our, our smartphone to guide us, uh, to entertain us, uh, to connect us and so much more. Um, but, the, but these things have accelerated the problems that, that of course were, were already there. Um, and that's where these, these, these mechanisms of meaning and purpose, I think really matter. One of the analogies that I always use, I hope you can hear me a little better now, change my microphone yes. is the, the context of cigarettes in the 1940s and 50s. Before we knew or before <laughs> uh, folks allowed us to know the truth about uh, cigarettes and nicotine, uh, not only were, were cigarettes mainstream through the entire culture and everybody smoked, including your pulmonologist and <laughs> your nurses, everyone, right. uh, but it was completely socially acceptable. All the movie stars did it. And um, an entire generation of young people at that time became uh, basically nicotine addicts without ever knowing what was going on. Uh, and that was completely acceptable at that time. Now it's uh, 30, 40 years later, we look at that and it seems so naive and dangerous and strange to have this kind of wild west approach to, you know, chemicals that are going into your body. And I think that's very similar to what's going on now with our general cultural approach to technology. We don't fully know what it's doing to us and for us. We don't fully know the dangers or the um, benefits. 
it's an unstudied, uncharted territory. And that's why we're doing this work is to kind of begin to, to, and there, we're, we're a, two of probably hundreds of different researchers across many domains, including psychology and philosophy and, uh, public health that are beginning to investigate this. And I think within another 10 or 20 years, we'll look back on this time frame and say, very similar to how we look at the 50s now, how, um, how sort of silly we were to assume that a device you engage with up to, in my students, seven hours, eight hours per day is not going to have a meaningful impact on your relationships, your social ability, your cognitive capacity, your academic achievement. And that's just the, the beginning of, of what we know. And in the psychology world, what they've mainly looked at is mental health effects. And these are pretty easy to identify. And the, the literature is pretty much pointing in one direction there. We chose a slightly different tag because we don't have the tools to measure those psychological variables very precisely as sociologists. Um, but our general consensus around the purpose, meaning the connection to life, the feeling of satisfaction, uh, are still very much in the same direction. Yeah, no, I, I find that really fascinating, and I really like the comparison there. So now your research has attracted a lot of media attention already. Um, how are you promoting it further? Just this morning, we got word from a publisher based in Europe who's interested in compiling uh, a few of the works that we've done into kind of a book format, uh, maybe even a couple books. So we're very, very excited about that. Uh, reaching a broader audience and being able to tell the full story of everything that we've uncovered so far. So that's pretty exciting. Is there anything else about your study that we haven't talked about that maybe you find unique or interesting, or maybe that you just wanted to promote? Well, I guess, I guess this comes to mind. Um, we, we, we talked about, uh, Anomi, um, mm -hmm. but, but Chris and I, uh, in this paper, we, we kind of introduced this, this term, anomogenesis uh to to sort of define this this idea that that smartphones alone um might might really just be producers of or accelerants of of anomi and I'll I'll let Chris talk a little bit more about that that concept this is uh this is his brainchild as we were kind of working through the data and, and thinking about what we were seeing. Yeah, we, in the um, psych literature, particularly in the psychiatric literature, they're concerned about experiences or substances that are called anxiogenic, which means they produce anxiety in people. There's a variety of those. If I give you a big shot of ephedrine, you're going to feel pretty jumpy or uh, in Waco, maybe methamphetamines. Those are anxiogenic substances. And I was thinking about that. In, uh, in the context of our work, could there be substances or experiences that produce anomie? And it seemed to me that this, the smartphone addiction, uh, that we've identified, and I have to say, and Justin maybe speak to this more, we had to, to some of these re reviewers, we had to kind of sell the idea that device addiction exists, believe it or not, <laughs> even yeah. though I think in our everyday life we see mm -hmm. it all the time. Uh, that was a bit of a sell. So after we had achieved that, I wanted to kind of pinpoint the specific ailment that could be brought about by this uh, kind of mindless use of smartphones. And it's not harm-free. I think that's the main thing that Justin and I are trying to get across. 
And by no means are we saying, you know, put your smartphone in the trash or burn it or don't get one for your kid. But in every case, be mindful, uh, act mindfully. Do not be naive about these powerful technologies that, as we talk about in the paper, in some cases are deliberately designed with biology in mind to bring us into constant, every day, every second um, attachment to them. That is not an accident. And so we want people to just be mindful, literate, and uh, careful consumers of the technology and the media which goes with them. I imagine you've both talked about your research to your students in your classrooms. Um, has anything you've said to them had an impact on the way maybe they they use cell phones or has it changed their habits at all? Well, yeah, when it and, and like I said, this study focuses on uh, on like a broader array of adults, including those who are 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 boomers and 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 older too. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that these things exist in that population as well is, is I think novel and, and useful moving forward. But yes, in conversation with students, um, I bring up these conversations. We discuss this stuff all the time. And the thing that strikes me is that when, when Chris was talking about being mindful, uh, you know, young people that we work with, I think are incredibly mindful of what's going on, it, it, you know, when it comes to social media and their smartphones. They get it, but they they have also told me simultaneously, uh, I'd like to use it less or I'd like to quit using it um, as much as possible, but I don't see like an avenue for not using it. Uh, and that's because it is so deeply uh, connected to all the things that we do. Um, right. Even even at Campbell University. Right. My, my Blackboard page is on their phone. And I can I can send them stuff and expect things from them at almost all hours. Uh, so th- these are the types of things that 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 kind of continue to draw uh, you 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 in consistently and constantly. I, I just I feel like the students that we work with don't see kind of a, a different path of 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 use. Yeah, what I've noticed in my class, similar to what Justin is saying, is a kind of recognition that um, they're using their phones a lot. In fact, I get them to tell the class what their screen time was. It's averaging between six and eight hours per day, uh, which wow. by most definitions would be pretty attached. And, yeah, yeah. And they talk about, you know, panicking if they were to leave it behind or so on. But that they don't see that as addiction because – it's the same as all of their friends. It's the same as everyone they know. So this is a dilemma for us as a society. If if addiction becomes normalized, it's hard to say it's an addiction. Yeah, we, we actually fun. had that. Uh, we had that with a couple of reviewers. Um, yeah, if you remember that, Chris, where it's like, how how can you uh, make this argument that in our case, you know, a twenty eight percent of the people in our, in our survey said, yeah, like I would panic if my phone stopped working, if I couldn't be attached to this thing. That's a, that's a, that's a huge number of people. If, if generalized to the entire adult population of the United States. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we face that argument, that's the cultural normativity that sort of blankets this whole conversation is if we don't understand how this has become sort of the technique of our everyday lives and some of the possible effects that it can have, 
Um, like Chris said, I think we need to be just a little more mindful of that. I want to thank you both so much for, for doing this. I feel like this is really interesting stuff and I'm glad we had this talk because it really makes it all more clear to me and hopefully to those listening. Um, I love I love sharing any research that comes out of Campbell University. Obviously, this is, this is a great partnership, too. You know, I came from Baylor, but the great partnership between Campbell and Baylor, too, that, yeah. that continues and, and something that I love to prop up as well. I've got a daughter that's about to turn 13, and uh, she still does not have a smartphone, and she's going to be pretty angry after today, too, because it's, <laughs> it's not going to happen anytime soon. So. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like my job right now is to make 13-year-olds mad, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. thank you both so much, and, and best of luck. Appreciate it. Yeah, right. you bet. Looking forward to seeing this. Thanks a lot. All right, bye. Bye, thank you.